Good evening. This is Radio Free Bichelle. I'm Alphonse. Tonight, intellectual property and inequality. I'm going to start with a clip from the 2008 documentary, RIP, Remix Manifesto. I think it speaks for itself. Uh, in the Clinton administration, my, my job was to being in charge of the intellectual property policy of the United States, both domestically and in terms of our, our diplomacy. You know, in a modern economy, I think wealth is in the products of the mind. It's really in intellectual creations. You know, in much of the world, we live in a sea of piracy. And, uh, you know, you can have sympathy for <laughs> developing countries, but we made a deal. You know, if you go to a, uh, to a shopping mall in this country, you cannot buy anything made in the United States anymore. It all comes from China or some other place like that. Well, the reason for that is that we've completely opened up our markets. It was a conscious decision to basically abandon low-wage manufacturing jobs, and the idea is that we would compensate for that with higher-wage, high-tech information, more intangible-based jobs. I was stunned when I saw this. Here's Bruce Lehman saying, basically, we sold out half the country. He's also saying that he's surprised at China. And I'm going to digress on this for a moment, because you have to understand China's position here. The countries that have become rich and industrialized did it in periods of weak intellectual property protection. The United States was infamous for piracy back in the day. When Taiwan, Japan, Korea rose up, there wasn't a lot of protection. Europe, certainly not. In fact, patent law was originally created to tempt craftsmen to bring techniques to England. They were then rewarded with exclusivity for 14 years, the period of two apprenticeships. But in the 1980s and 90s, the United States changed direction and decided that intellectual property was the future. And this is the regime it tried to impose on China. China's many things, but they're not stupid. They understood the deal. The deal was, we'll let you into the international economy, and you can make things, but that's all you will ever do. Say Apple's making an iPhone. Apple has the design. They own the intellectual property. They go to China, and they find the cheapest producer that will manufacture it. The Chinese manufacturer provides the materials, the capital, the machinery, the labor. And Apple provides the design, which they can copy infinitely at zero cost once they've created it. So eventually, Apple is making big chunks of free profit, and your low-cost Chinese producer is making just a sliver. And even after they've made millions of phones, it'll still belong to Apple, and none of it will belong to China. What would you do if you were offered that deal? You can stay out of the, uh, the world economy and stay poor, or you can sign on the dotted line. Well, China did the natural thing, the best thing for their people. They signed on the dotted line, and then they, they didn't follow through. And Bruce Lehman is shocked that this is what they did. It blows my mind. But then look what happened to the United States. When he says that they abandoned manufacturing jobs for high-margin information jobs, what he really means is that they abandoned uneducated workers for college-educated workers. Just over 40% of American students go to college, about two-thirds of those who graduate high school. 
That means that 60% of Americans don't. This is an economy that locks out 60% of the population. Now, it used to be not that many people went to college. It might be 10%. But if that's the case, you don't have a big problem because if you've got 10% elites and 90% other everybody else, then at least if you're everybody else, you're the majority. It's still your country. But when those elites are 40% of the population and you're not in that 40%, you're just plain left behind. And I'm not talking about the rapture. You know that college education is the best predictor of United States voting patterns. It's not geography. It's not age. It's not wealth or income. It's education. No shock. There are further dynamics that the information economy creates. In the economy of things, economic activity is pulled out across the map because you put industry where there are resources. So there's a little city here because there's mining. There's another one over there because of forestry. Another one here for agriculture. Uh, And there's another city here at a crossroads and so forth. And so economic activity and population get drawn across the map. What's the resource you need in the information economy? It's people. So the place you want to go is a place where there are lots of people, lots of educated people, lots of experts, the big cities. And the more of these people who go there, the more valuable that location becomes. So there's a concentration, and that forces up prices to live there. So a few cities become winners, and they have steep price curves for rent and housing from the center declining towards the fringes. And all the small cities and the edges outside the cities, not very valuable. It's a winner-take-all economy in another way, which is in an economy of things, everything has some value. Say you have a car company and they make mediocre cars. They're really not very good, but they've got lots of them. Those cars are still valuable. You get one of those cars, it'll take you where you want to go. There are resources invested into that car. So even if it's not the best car, you might still want it. But what about instead of cars, we're talking about software or movies or music. If you're going to listen to a song, you're going to listen to the best one, right? I mean, depending on your taste, there might be lots of best ones, but it's a tiny fraction of those that are produced. The same for movies. A small number of movies make the lion's share of the profits. Part of the reason they do that is success breeds success, just like the cities. If the city has lots of people in it, more people come, because the more people come, the more valuable it becomes. The same is true of properties like Star Wars. The same is true of platforms like iOS or Android. The same is true of social media sites like Facebook. So it's a winner-takes-all economy. It's a winner-takes-all economy because the dynamics of popularity and because if you're given a choice and the manufacturer can sell something that they copy for free because every additional copy or every additional customer is basically free, then they can price it to get the mass of the market. And there's no point for second best. If there are 10 products competing in a space like this, and one of them is the best, that one's going to win. And there might be room for a number two that's cheap. And after that, forget it. It's like Hollywood, L.A., town full of beautiful young women waiting tables, or so I hear, and a few 
who turn into superstars. The information economy is a superstar economy, a winner-take-all economy, where a few companies, a few cities, and a few individuals get the lion's share of the profits, and from there, it's a steep curve all the way down until you hit that people who are completely shut out because they didn't have the education. And I should say about that, not everybody's capable or suited for university. Not everybody is suited for programming. Many of the top academic experts and programmers say that maybe 10% of people are basically born with the talent. And I've met young people who were never going to be programmers because they just didn't get it. They don't think that way. They think a different way. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's not for them. And I've seen students at university who really shouldn't be there because they don't think that way either. These might be the best people you could have for a job. They might be honest, hardworking, creative, and they're not that kind of smart. We talk so much about diversity, but we've got an economy that doesn't favor diversity because there are huge chunks of the population that are ill-suited for it. We may be able to push some of them through the college system in areas that aren't that strenuous, but the reality is they know they're going to be hanging on by their fingernails. So the United States made a deal with China, not thinking it through from China's perspective. So they didn't realize that China must logically cheat. They sold out a big chunk of their population. And they end up in a situation where they lack manufacturing capability, which it turns out is actually quite bad. Because when you're iterating on innovating new products, you may think, We've got the ideas, the designs, the patents, the copyrights. But it actually really helps to be able to make the thing, too. It turns out that the iteration is faster. Innovation is better when you can actually do the full circuit. And now the U.S. is dependent on China for key elements, even in fundamental things like military. They have a population that at the top end is divided among people who are competing for a few spots in top high-status jobs, and I'll talk about that in another episode. And you have a mass of people at the bottom who know they've been shut out of the economy, even if they don't know exactly how. This economy has worked out for the winners. It's worked out spectacularly for the winners. Inequality is through the roof, and things are falling apart. And it's not an accident. This plan for the information economy is socially destructive, economically destructive. And this moment, when Bruce Lehman spills the beans, for me, is the moment the smoking gun. This is Alphonse for Radio Free Bichelle, www.bezel.ca. Good night. <laughs>